Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good morning. It's really awesome to, uh, to be with you this morning. My name is Curtis Rogers, and I'm from St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. And I work for Calvary Baptist Church and Mile One Mission. Um, and I'll be talking about Mile One Mission uh, later, later, later on in the service today. If you do have any questions about our ministry as I talk about it later, I would love to get the chance to chat with you after the service about it as well. I just want to say a big thank you to James and Graham and Dylan uh, for inviting me up here and just allowing me to preach to you all. This is, this is awesome. I got the chance to meet your pastors um, at our Engage conference in St. John's back in April and just really hit it off with them and enjoyed um, their company for the whole time. And so thank you guys for, for this opportunity. Really excited to be preaching to you this morning from Psalm 55 um, about the topic of prayer. It's, uh, I don't know about you, but prayer is, prayer is pretty hard, I find. It's something that, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about, but it's also something that I've struggled with a lot and have neglected a lot. And I'd say, really, it's only in the past five years, maybe, that I've really been challenged to pursue God more fervently in prayer. And I'm by no means an expert or some sort of guru or anything like that. Rather, I simply long to know Jesus more through the preciousness of time spent in prayer with him. And so what is prayer? Let's start off with that. Start off by giving just maybe a broad definition. Tim Keller says that prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. A personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. In other words, we understand something about the nature of God and then we respond by, with that understanding by seeking to know him and personally communicate with him. And that's prayer. Now, that's not necessarily a Christian-specific definition. It's pretty broad and general to begin with because it is true that many people of different you know, worldviews and religions do pray. Keller says that prayer is a global phenomenon. Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus all practice some form of prayer. I uh, spent a good chunk of my childhood in the Middle East. Uh, I grew up there for a good amount of years, and I remember hearing every day the Muslim call to prayer echo all across the city of Doha. And in fact, a 2004 study even says that nearly 30% of atheists admit that they prayed sometimes. So there's clearly something fairly universal about prayer. One author says that prayer is a natural human instinct. And that just goes to show that all of us, all humanity, longs for God. Every human has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only God can fill. And perhaps that's why prayer is such a global phenomenon. But as much as we can say generally that prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God, as we just heard, the only way that you can actually experience relationship with God himself is through Jesus Christ. Many people pray, especially in times of desperation, and yet they do so without actually knowing God personally. You can blurt out a quick prayer in time of need, or practice meditation, or recite standard prayers three to five times a day, but if you do not know Jesus Christ, 
you will never experience the joy, peace, and rest of communing with God himself. And so I'm not, not here today to give you a brief breakdown of prayer in general. Rather, what I hope to do is to show you how to build relationship with God through prayer. And that's my overall theme or sermon in a sentence, if you will, for today, building relationship with God through prayer. And I want to break that down into sort of three sections by reminding us first of the character of God. One author says that we must go to the riches of the glory of God first. We can try as many practical solutions as we want, but to start there is to start at the wrong end. So we'll first look at God's character, and then I want to call you to pray. Uh, That is essential to do so, that you must do so if you want to build relationship with God. And finally, then I want to give you some more practical ways that that you can use to help aid you in prayer. I, uh, I remember when I was a boy growing up, my parents taught me to always pray before I went to sleep at night. And, and night after night, I would recite this one prayer that took about five seconds to say. Every single night, it went like this. Father in heaven, hear my prayer. Keep me in thy loving care. Be my guide in all I do. And bless all those who love me too. I would say that every single night. Don't know why I said it, but that's what I just learned to do. And this was before I was a Christian. So I had no relationship with God whatsoever. I simply was religious. I checked a bunch of boxes. I said my bedtime prayers at night. Check. All right. I said grace before eating my meals. Check. I went to church on Sunday. Check. And if if I can be honest with you, it meant absolutely nothing to me. It was just another chore to get done. I had religion, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and therefore missed the whole point of prayer, which is to build relationship with God. But this is how most of the world prays, without knowing God. So as we dive into Psalm 55, my goal is not to get you to pray so you can say, I completed my to-do list for today. Because let me tell you, it is very easy for all of us to do that, rather my hope is that you would build relationship with God and be captivated by the person of Jesus Christ. So who is this God that we pray to? Let's start with that. How do we know that it's, that it's safe to come to him, that he's trustworthy to bring our prayers to? Right here in Psalm 55, we see that God is a God who saves, who redeems souls, who is enthroned from of old. Psalm 116 tells us that he is gracious, righteous, full of compassion. Matthew 11 says, where Jesus says he is gentle and lowly in heart, and that in him we'll find rest for our souls. Alistair Begg says that you can meet people who talk about God in an intellectual way, or a distant way, or a business-like way, but it is distinctly Christian to speak of God as a father, and therefore to speak to God as a father. And this is what I love about Christianity and why it is fundamentally different than any other religion or worldview out there. It's because we can actually know God personally and relationally, and it's safe to go to him. It's safe to go to God in raw honesty, safe to confess our sin, safe to own the fact that we're messed up, imperfect people because we have a perfect Savior. And through him, we have direct access to the Father. Charles Spurgeon has this great quote that says, would you lose your sorrows? 
would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. And we see here in Psalm 55 that David does just that. He finds comfort for his soul, calm amidst his sorrows, peace amidst the trials because he fixed his gaze upon the Lord. However, the psalm starts out with David pleading to God in desperation. He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. And why is he pleading like this? He says, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. Wicked people have come against David here. They are coming with anger and malice to attack him, and he wishes that he could just fly away from the whole situation. He says in verses 6 to 8, and I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. He longs to be just somewhere far away because his enemies are vicious and they are unrelenting. But as we read further, it's not just any enemy that comes against David, but they're made up of people who used to be his friends. Verses 12 to 14 say, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. I don't know about you, but have have any of you experienced anything similar to David? When people have come against you personally, even old friends betray you, and you just feel so vulnerable as they close in on you, and you just wish that you could fly away. I know for me personally, this whole experience of David just hits home. Back in the fall, a certain group in in my city of St. John's decided to take to social media to attack my church and and our church plants, and there was all kinds of hate and slander and misinformation, all kinds of death threats and personal messages, and amongst that group and even in the personal messages that I received, there were old, familiar friends. You know, people that I used to laugh with, play music with, grew up in my former church with even in some cases, confided in. And I felt like, just like David. I wanted to fly away, to lodge in the wilderness, to find shelter from the storm. And yet I did not find peace by running away, nor did I find rest by getting out of town. And if David would have got his wish to fly away, to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest, he too would not have found peace. Why? Because the only true 
lodging in the wilderness. The only true shelter from the raging wind and tempest is Jesus Christ. And no matter how loud the winds howl and how heavy the rains fall, Jesus Christ is the sure and steady foundation in the midst of the storm. I remember in the heat of the attacks against my church, praying at night in the darkness of my bedroom, much like David, give air to my prayer, O God, I'm restless in my complaint. Vindicate me, rescue me from these people. And in the midst of my anxiety, hearing the still, small voice of God, the peace and comfort of his Holy Spirit, and being so greatly washed over and overcome by the love of Jesus in my midst, I felt as though he were sitting on the bedside next to me. Just as that old hymn says, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear, and safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar about me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me. How can I be dismayed? Oh, the beauty and the preciousness of Jesus Christ. This is the God that we pray to. This is the God that we pray to. And if we look further into the psalm, we find that David, too, finds rest. Not by flying away, but by running towards God. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning at noon, I utter my complaint, and I moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Church, build your relationship with God through prayer. Build your relationship with God through prayer. So now we've seen who God is. We know that he's compassionate, kind, loving, righteous, merciful, faithful. We've sung about that. We know that he saves, he redeems, he listens to us. Now I want to call us to action here, that if we are to build relationship with God, we must, must pray. Not it's a good suggestion to pray, it's a nice recommendation to pray. No, it's essential that if we pray for, if we do not, we will not build relationship with God. It's good to pray alone. It's good to pray as a married couple. It's good to pray together with your church family. My girlfriend, Celeste, uh, is here today, and we've been dating for almost three years now, and Lord willing, moving in the direction of marriage for the future, and the Lord has worked in our relationship and has grown both of us spiritually from where we started to where we are today. But how strong do you think our relationship would be you know, if we never talk to one another, or only once every few weeks or months, or only in times of crisis, or what if we do talk all the time, but I only do so because it's just something I have to reluctantly do out of duty. My pastor back home uses this example. He says, what if, what if I say to Celeste every day, I love you, but I only, I only do it, I don't really mean it, it's just simply a task that I have to get done. And what if I missed seven days in a row of saying I love you and then go up to her the next day to make up for the seven missed days and say, I love you, 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 I love you. And then feel good about myself for making up for lost time. That wouldn't make her feel loved. 
It, it would make her feel, though, as if she's nothing more than a chore to be completed. So how do we expect to grow closer to God if either we hardly talk to him or we simply treat him as nothing more than a chore? Knowing God is, in fact, a relationship. A different kind of relationship, but a relationship nonetheless. So if we want to build relationship with God, we must pray. The great Scotsman Robert Murray McShane once said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Just look at our psalm here. But I call to God evening and morning and at noon, and he hears my voice. David is seeking the Lord at all hours of the day. And look at the son of David, David's Lord, our example, Jesus, in Luke 5.16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's been said that if Jesus took time to pray, how much more should we? I was watching a, a Paul Washer sermon recently, and something he said struck me. He said, no one ever went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to preach. No one ever went to, said, to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to walk on water. No one ever went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to cast out demons. But they did go to him and ask, Lord, teach us to pray, because there was something so powerful that even amidst all these things, that walking on water, like that's incredible, but there was something so mesmerizing about how powerful Jesus prayed. They're like, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus himself teaches us to pray. He values prayer. He communes with his Father. And God invites us to commune with him. He wants us to grow closer to him through prayer. God wants to hear from us. And not only that, but he answers prayer as well. Look at our psalm. And the Lord will save me. God will give ear and humble them. But you, O God, will cast them down. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And Matthew 7, 7 tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will be found. Knock and it will be opened to you. Prayer actually changes things and we need to pray believing that it does. I remember the first time I met Celeste, I was leading a Bible study at the InterVarsity group on campus at Memorial University in Newfoundland. And she just moved there from Montreal, actually. But she wasn't a Christian. And she was full of questions about God and the Bible and, and Christianity. And every Bible study, she would be one of the first people to, to stick her hand up and say, I have a question. And she was so fascinated with Jesus and, and what it meant to be a Christian. But something was always holding her back. So myself and the rest of the Bible study leaders would, would meet up on Sundays sort of plan out the following week. But we would also pray for Celeste that she would be saved, that she would come to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. Getting together with others for prayer is vitally important. And in January 2019, she texted me following Sunday service at church that she came to and, and told me that during that service she had experienced the presence of God for the first time in her life. She finally felt the peace of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of her sins. That although all her life she had been searching for God in a bunch of different religions, like a bunch, but when she heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, she actually met God for the first time. 
Church, not only must we pray to build relationship with God, but God actually answers our prayers. Now, I want to be careful here, though. This doesn't mean that God is some, simply some genie in a bottle who answers to our every whim. This isn't some prosperity thing where you pray to win the lottery or for a nice car or a big house and just expect God to bless you with it because God actually knows what we truly need more than we do. We pray and God can answer prayer, but it is because it is his will to do so. And Matthew 7 may tell us, ask and it will be given to you. But James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. If we just simply use God to try to get what we want, then we ourselves end up acting as God. But if we ask God with a desire to seek his will above our own, then we pray rightly. Church, Jesus is our example for prayer, and we have to build our relationship with God. We must pray. So we've looked at the character of God and who it is that we pray to. We know also that we must pray if we want to build our relationship with him. But what if we don't really know how? Well, after laying sort of the foundation here of God's character, I want to now sort of transition to some practical ways that can help us in prayer. So first off, practical step number one, we should pray every day. And practical step number two, we should spend time alone in prayer. I'm sort of going to intertwine these two together a little bit. I mentioned that we should get together with others for prayer. That's true, but it's also vital that we spend time alone in prayer. And I'm going to focus more on that one now. When I was a new Christian, I prayed throughout the day. As I went to school, as I went to work, as I did this and that, and I still do that, and I would encourage you to practice that. You know, it's a type of praying without ceasing that Paul talks about, but that was the only way I prayed. And as I later learned from others, that was not good. And just look at Mark 135, and I love the way the New International Version puts this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A solitary place where he prayed. Renaissance Church, do you have a solitary place where you go to meet with God? The Puritans often called this their prayer closet. It's, it's well and good to pray as you go about your day. Keep doing that. But if you do not follow the example of Jesus here by praying and being alone with God, you will not build your relationship with him. And for those, of us, for those of you who are married, I mean, what if the only time you talked to your spouse was when you were running an errand or watching TV or cooking food, right? Most of the time, like, how deep are those conversations going to get beyond, like, can you pass the peanut butter or can you start the car or can you change the channel? I mean, versus if you set a time that you actually come together to pray with each other, read the Bible together, be vulnerable and honest with one another. I mean, which do you think is going to strengthen your marriage more. And the same is true of prayer. It's not that praying throughout the day is bad. In fact, I would encourage you to practice it. Pray without ceasing. But it's meant to be supplemental to the private time you've already spent with God. It's not meant to be the only time you pray. And I remember when I was first really challenged to take my prayer life 
more seriously, I started to go out to my shed, um, turn off the lights, and just pray in a quiet place in my backyard there, where no one would disturb me. And I was very inconsistent. You know, I could go five days in a row and then go two weeks without praying. But it was in that shed that I really learned to wrestle and be persistent in prayer. It was there that I learned to pray. And sometimes it was really hard. Or sometimes I prayed and I felt as though God was not even listening. Well, that was not true, of course. But I found that the more I practiced prayer, the more the Holy Spirit would carry me along in prayer, where an hour spent in prayer would feel like little more than five minutes because of how the Holy Spirit manifested. This, is, this doesn't happen every time you pray. In fact, sometimes it feels like the minutes just drag on. But I promise you that if you earnestly seek the face of God in daily, solitary prayer, he will reveal himself to you. So church, begin with the daily practice of praying and being alone with God. I talked earlier about a checklist, how, how we, we don't want prayer to just be a checklist that we just accomplish, right? And, and the solution to that is not just to say, well, I'm going to spontaneously just pray whenever the urge comes upon me and never outside of that. Right? When I feel like I want to pray, then I'll go to a solitary place. Rather, but as once I heard a preacher say, if you do not set a time for yourself to pray, you will not do it. David here in Psalm 55 is pouring out his heart to God. Look at verse 2. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. If you're restless in your prayers to God, that's not something you're inconsistent with. Restless is a constant, unrelenting wrestling in prayer, especially in the type of desperate situation David was in. And I have no doubt that he was seeking God every day. We don't want prayer to become a chore but the solution to legalism is not anti-legalism or anti-nomianism, if you want a fancy term. But on the days that you feel burnt out or you don't want to get out of bed to pray, we can be honest with God about our own struggles. We don't have to pretend in front of him like we got it all together. We don't have to pretend that we're strong. We can go and say, Lord, I don't want to be here right now. Every part of my flesh is desiring to be somewhere else. But I know that your spirit can strengthen and enable me in my weakness. So first two things, seek God daily and seek him in a solitary place. It's the first two practical steps I have for you. Practical step number three, get your soul near to God before it gets near another. And, and I take this from Robert McShane again who says, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. He says, family prayer loses much of its power and sweetness, and I can do no good to those who come to seek from me. The conscience feels guilty, the soul not fed, the lamp not trimmed. Then when in secret prayer, the soul is often out of tune. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another. Look at verse 17 in our psalm. 
evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. David meets God as he wakes up and even as he goes to sleep. My dad often says to me, and, and even just last week, reminded me again, he always says, the first thing to hit the floor in the morning should be your knees. And what he means by that is often what happens when we get out of bed in the morning, the first thing to touch the floor is our feet because we often either wake up ready to, to conquer the day and just go about it with whatever we've got to do and be busy, or if you're like me, you, you slept in and now you're in a rush to cook breakfast and brush your teeth really fast and get out the door to work or school or whatever, and you're just busy, 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 busy. Versus if the first thing to touch the floor in the morning is our knees, and often that means waking up earlier, we start the day in precious fellowship with Christ. We start the day in precious fellowship with Christ. And if you feel overwhelmed by the business of life, as many of us often do, be encouraged from the story of Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, who, managing a household of 10 kids all by herself, found it very difficult to pray, as you can imagine. And she would kneel down and throw an apron over her head. And the kids eventually learned that when, whenever mom was covered in the apron, they learned that that was their time to be quiet because that meant mom was praying. We often think, especially in times of exhaustion, that we're too busy to pray. And I felt this often during my undergrad degree, but a good friend pointed out to me that how foolish my thinking really was because it is Christ that I depend on. He's the source of my strength to help me with all the worries of my day. How foolish is it to neglect that if I don't get my soul near him first, if I don't, from the moment I awake, take hold of Christ, then I have no hope for the trials ahead of me. My only hope, the only one I lean on with all dependency, is Christ. Martin Luther famously said, I have so much to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I mean, how opposite is that to how we normally think, right? Right? Normally, it's, I'm too busy to pray today. How many days have I wasted away on meaningless trifles while neglecting to meet with my Savior? You heard last week about the practice of Scripture and the importance of reading your Bibles, and, and this week you're hearing about the practice of prayer. And so my final practical step, practical step number four, use your practice of Scripture to inform and fuel your practice of prayer. In our psalm, David uses what he knows about God's character to inform his prayers. He knows God is enthroned from of old. He knows he will not permit the righteous to be moved. And if I'm honest with you, this is something that through some reading, I've sort of recently discovered, actually, but I found that it's helped focus my prayer time a lot. Because if you're anything like me, you start to pray, and then something pops into your head, and then you go down this like rabbit hole, and then 15 minutes later, you're like, oh, I'm actually praying right now. And so I found that by reading Scripture, meditating on the Scripture that I've just read, and then you could do that by you know, thinking about it, or journaling is helpful, I found, and then take all that that I've learned from God's Word and proceed to pray through it. I'll just, I'll just give you a quick you know, example, case study of, of how this might work. Um, my church back home are reading through 2 Samuel in the month of July. I read a chapter, today, a, chapter a day and sort of journal um, our thoughts about it. And um, 
I sort of, what I found interesting about this one, I, I discovered sort of something in there and, and sort of used it to, to fuel my prayer for that day. So a quick example, um, David, there's David's son Absalom is rebelling against King David, and David's counselor, Ahithophel, betrays him to go work with Absalom, his son. And so Ahithophel's counsel is like the word of God, basically, is what everybody refers it to, because he always gives good counsel, and everybody always takes it, and he's never wrong, except for this one time his counsel is rejected by Absalom. And Ahithophel is so discouraged by it that he goes away to his hometown, sets his house in order, and then hangs himself. And so I, I journaled that I, and, and meditated through that and, and basically used that to fuel my prayer by saying, God, I don't want to be like Ahithophel who found his identity in a gift from you rather than you, the gift giver himself, that when that one thing was taken away, he felt like, well, what's left to live for? Jesus, I want to find my identity in you, not in anything else. And so quick case study, that's something I used from that chapter to fuel how I prayed that day. That's just a quick example how we can do that. So I've talked about God's character. I've said that we must pray. And I've given you some hopefully helpful ways to grow in prayer. I just want to sort of wrap it all up in a gospel conclusion. I have struggled to pray all of my life. And yet I have found that there is nothing sweeter and more precious than being alone with Jesus Christ in prayer. There is nothing more refreshing to the soul than to commune with our Savior who wants to know us to know him more. And yet how often minor things in life distract us from doing that. It's just like that old hymn says, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry. Everything to God in prayer. So church, if you want to build relationship with God, you must pray. And if I can encourage you, as someone who struggles with this, as anyone else, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we all deserve, rose victorious from the grave that we might be forgiven our sins. And if you do not know him, please don't delay in trusting in him today. We all deserve eternal separation from God. But he has made a way for us to be reconciled to himself. Let us not neglect so great a privilege. Church, let us seek to know God more in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you now and thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that though we don't deserve anything, though all we deserve is hell, you died for us, you rose again. We might be saved, we might have relationship with you. I pray, God, that in the midst of the trials of our life, 
and I don't know many of the things that many people here might be going through or struggling with or grieving through, but I pray that they would take it to you knowing that you know what we need more than we do, knowing that you are faithful as we've sung about already. I pray, God, that that we could all practice more and you would strengthen us with your spirit, not to just white-knuckle our way to try to pray hard more, but we would lean on you to strengthen us. And I pray, God, we could experience more the power, the sweetness, the preciousness of communing with you in prayer. Thank you for how good and faithful you've been to us. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.